All right, how many breakdowns can we have with a friend that we can actually break through together? And that is, that's a real, true, and rare friendship these days if you are both okay in saying yes to, to that. Many times when you are magnifying or you're rising from a sucky situation and a sucky time, you're often saying yes to more things and you're often uh, operating from a basis of, of, of curiosity so fast than some of the folks around you. And that's where we start to outgrow some of those friendships. When you get stuck in the suck of that feeling of resentment and you can't get out of the soup of resentment and you think that everyone's out to get you. And that's just limiting our window of possibilities because then instead of getting into, all right, what's the now what? The now what of like, where's the personal responsibility in all of this? And that's what's missing in the world of resentment. Dr. Nita, welcome on the podcast. What are you most excited about right now in your lifetime? Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, it's a brand new year and brand new energies. And honestly, I'm so excited for my next book. It's like my this baby that has been such a huge part of me that has been literally kind of just within me for the last, oh, I want to say four years, five years, I want to say, when I got pregnant, Hmm. uh, I I got pregnant five years ago. Um, You birthed two kids into the world. I did. (laughs) Fast forward, I birthed two. But I think uh, this book is my third baby, honestly. And it's uh, it's been so many feels and such a huge... Mm. transformation as well as just this constant um evolution so i'm so excited that Mm. the world gets to experience it and feel it and uh it it really has been such a labor of love yes it, it definitely felt that way um as i was reading it and i wanted to just start off there um based on where humanity is right now in its evolution it almost feels like as a species we're going through this reinvention and in another podcast i heard you say that you were the queen of reinvention so going off of of that concept of reinventing ourselves i know we've heard it before it's a buzzword we know we're we're constantly being told like oh if you don't reinvent yourself then you know your place in the job market might be lost or you're not going to be able to move through this process in your life But reinvention, I think the way that you've seen it, the way that you've lived it is completely different than many people have have experienced it. So I just wanted to tune into your really experience of reinvention in your process to start with. Yeah, uh, I love that you're bringing it up in that context. Yeah, I feel like in in my experience and I've I've had many in and what I kind of want to share, like rebirths and deaths, right? Because many times when we think of the word reinvention, it's almost when we're tuning in, it's almost like, oh, do we have to completely, you know, scrape the slate clean and and do a blank slate on everything? And, 
And maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's in, you know, what I've really felt a big calling for in the fa- in the past, I don't know, however many decades, because when I was young, I had to grow up really fast, right? And so I didn't have a traditional, I mean, childhood was very chaotic. It was very uh, tumultuous. There were so many things happening all at once. Um, you know, when I, by the time I turned 16, I was working three jobs. Um, my mom had just passed away. And so she had this really long battle of cancer. And that was my first foray into, Hmm. all right, Nita, like life's going to be a little challenging. And, Hmm. you know, at 16, growing up in the city of Chicago, there are challenges, you know, there are challenges taking the subway uh, Hmm. to school because you live in the city in a big city. Um, There are challenges there, but to then have internal home challenges where you don't know if one of your parents or caretakers is going to live, right? So that really then informed me on how I need to be taking care of myself. And then I had two younger brothers also. Um, you were the oldest of the of the siblings. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was the oldest. And I had a younger brother who was uh, 16 months younger than me and we were really tight. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I had, my youngest brother was five years younger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm 16, he's 11. And my dad was from India. My mom had been from the Philippines. So it was just this cultural melting pot in our home. Mm-hmm. And so it was so such an early on kind of metaphor for life in terms of, okay, this meant challenge, right? Challenge yeah. meant this was what we were going to face. And then fast forward to uh, four years later, um, I would lose my brother and I would lose my dad. Completely unexpected too. Completely unexpected. Yeah. I mean, it, it's taken me, whew, I want to say maybe 15 years to actually even talk about my brother's death without mm. like, mm-hmm. uh, getting completely out of, um, you know, super emotional about it. And I think that, you know, so those things really lent me kind of this force in my twenties of, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm resilient. I I've got this. I'm so strong. Cause that's what people told me. Right. Yeah. And, and anybody that would meet me, I mean, when my brother passed away, uh, it was completely unexpected. Mm. We had a home gum, a homecoming game, uh, and homecoming is just basically, you know, senior year. You have a homecoming dance, and there's like football involved, mm. and and not the and and not the fo- <laughs> not not soccer, but actual, you know, the actual football, actual and football, <laughs> actual football. And so we went to high school across the street from each other. Shout out Lane Tech. And, uh, and we were supposed to meet and, and he never showed up because he had collapsed. He had an asthma attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and spiritually, I think now, you know, I know that he just was really close to my mom. And so wow. that's given me the peace and the solace that I think that I needed. And, 
And I think many times when something bad happens, you know, for anybody listening or anybody that's going through a tough moment or a sucky mm. moment, as I like to call it, there it begs that call for reinvention. And that reinvention, yeah. how I've experienced it is, all right, well, something that this, this mm. is big. Like I can only go two ways. I can succumb to the fall of the depth of that, or I can rise above it. Now, when I was young, I didn't have all the tools that you, Emilio, have and you share with all of your audience. I mean, mm. that wouldn't come until probably, you know, almost 15 years, 20 years later, right? Mm. And I think that um, that had to be because I had to, I, I, I had to experience life. And yeah. And it was, so going through the motions of that, entering my 20s now, you know, leader of my home, because I was orphaned and lost my my father as mm. well uh, to cancer. And so my value system in my 20s was, all right, no one's going to feel bad for me. No one's going to pity us for going through all of the things. And there was this shame mm. of... Uh, you know, am I going to be accepted in society? And there is this big shame because, you know, when we're young, we want to fit in. We want to belong. We don't want to be the weirdo that's kind of like, well, hey, how, how are you doing? And I remember, you know, I talk about this in my book, um, that the grief and the trauma was so terrible for me that I just wanted to be a kid. I just wanted to not have all of these responsibilities. Mm. And so I, uh, I applied for this, um, the study abroad program in Italy and yeah. funny that you're living in Madrid and I've always had this super special, amazing place in my heart for Europe. Yes. That was the first time I was able to experience some sort of freedom and liberation and even this reinvention that was keeping me back in my circumstance of like just, you know, the sadness and this depth of like fear and uncertainty and not knowing what I was going to do next because you know, I don't really have, I had guidance in terms of my aunts and my uncles and they did the best that they could to raise us, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, it's different to not have your parents. And I had to really look with it. And, and what really helped me in those dark times was when I first touched on Italian soil, I was in Rome. The Vatican was like literally... Got a little Aperol spritz going. Uh. You know, and I had my, I had my, uh, <laughs> my iced coffee every day. And yes, the Aperol spritz, that was the first time I even had tasted alcohol. I was barely 21. I turned 21 that, that summer. But it felt, Emilio, like... I had wings on my back again. And for the first time I had, uh, I shared this in the book where I took an Italian uh, philosophies class because YOLO, right? When you're over mm -hmm. there. And I didn't realize that they would be talking about stoicism and they would be talking about the teachings of a person named Marcus Aurelius, which I'm sure a lot mm. of people have probably. OG. Heard of. He's such an OG. 
And to be learning that while going through, you know, still processing a lot of my trauma and grief, which I thought this trip was just going to give me this blank slate and I would start over and no one would need to know that that's the girl who went through a lot of stuff, mm. right? Because I didn't know anyone at this university. I had known nobody. I didn't know a lick of Italian. But I was like just open. And then and then we started learning every day about this guy named Marcus Aurelius and how his concept of amor fati was to love one's fate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was where, you know, and and it was so it, it couldn't have been such a beautiful timing because while I was like questioning and I was so resentful because my grandmother didn't want me to go and leave my little brother, my aunt didn't want me like no one wanted me to leave. And I was like, I just have to do this for myself. Like, I know like this mm-hmm. is in my heart. So calling for you to and go. And when you know, right? And I feel like many of you know the, our listeners who are listening today, many times you know, you know that there's this ache in your heart, but you know it's so counterintuitive because nobody, nobody wants you to go, nobody wants you to leave that job, nobody wants you to leave that relationship, but you feel it in your heart that that's kind of where that next step is, yeah. and maybe that's your calling to just say yes to it even if it might disappoint Mm. everybody else, Mm. because I'll tell you this much, it disappointed my family for a little bit, but then they came around, right? And that's the beauty of it. Mm. Many times when we have our suck moments, we may disappoint others, but if we're doing it at the cost of giving us life back again and, and sparking joy back into ourselves, and creating these new adventures, you know, at 21, I was like, oh, okay. I went to my first, I'm going to date myself, but Coldplay concert there. And Ooh. I was like, felt like I was on top <laughs> of the world listening to, you know, the teachings of Marcus Aurelius. And I would have dreams every night. And it was almost that, you know, my father, cause I was so close to him and it would, mm. it was just literally a year that he had passed that he would come into my dreams and he'd say, you're on the right path, beta and beta and wow. means child. And so that felt yeah. so good because if I was looking for any sort of validation, spiritually, my guides, I've always thought my parents were my guides. Um, and that was the beginning of what would then uh, unleash this insurmountable amount of mm-hmm reinvention that I would do in business and relationships and life and, and embrace it with such, uh, with such grace. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And there's a moment I want to take a pause that you mentioned how you came to this insight, this sort of realization that the reason why, uh, your brother chose your brother's soul chose that exit point was because of his, proximity to the soul of your mom and i just wanted to unwrap that and how you really came to that realization because when dealing with all this grief and when we lose people in our life i think the first thing that we need to understand and redefine is death in itself and there was a moment where you're sharing about your brother's um situation on another podcast and you mentioned the word transition instead of passing away or, or death like transition is truly the word that I most resonate with right now based on like what I've uh, read and learned about this this you know huge spirit world that 
you know, we're a part of and we're deeply connected to. So how did you start also redefining your definitions around, around death and what that even looks like and come to these profound realizations? Oh, such a great question. Such a great question. And I, you know, it, it definitely wasn't in that moment. Um, Mm. it would probably be when I said yes to my own spiritual awakening, which was, you know, I had my Saturn return, which, which is a time, you know, for, for those listening either, you know, in Vedic astrology, every seven years is when Mm. you have a sort of reinvention and it doesn't have to be big. It could be, could be small. It could be, you know, um, a breakup with a friend. It could be a breakup with, um, with somebody that you love. Uh, it could be maybe a complete misalignment with a job or something happens Mm. that it questions kind of you in, in a certain way. And, um, and so this was at the end of, of my twenties where I fell in love. I thought I met the love of my life and, I, um, I got married and I did all of the things and it was a really unhealthy relationship. And Mm. so much so that I didn't realize that I had just given my whole identity just to enmesh with this person Mm. so much that I forgot really who I was. So that girl who was 21 living her life in Italy, she was non-existent because at my, what identity do you think you had to take on to be in that relationship I, you know that's a great question I, I feel like my that my identity at that point was this subservient um yes person to someone who mm-hmm. um who where i i I didn't even know how to even love myself because I was constantly giving, giving, giving. And so I took on this like martyr uh, archetype and this savior archetype where a lot of times we want to save other people in our relationship. And many times we lose ourselves in the process. And there's no fault of anyone's. This was just my particular journey. I chose it. I probably had to learn a few things that I didn't learn in my 20s that I didn't learn during my losses. And that's when, and when that breakup was so big and so, I mean, it took me to some really dark places. I had to get a restraining order. Mm -hmm. um, And I had to really find uh, inner strength within myself. And that's, you know, I call this the this audacious resiliency in my book, and that sucked. Now what? And it's really this intention that you are going to choose um, your own inner strength, whatever it's mm-hmm. going to look like. And for me, it said finally saying yes to to help, and in different ways. So healers, shamans. Um, talk therapy, uh, EMDR, somatics, energetics. And that would come within this like, you know, point of um, me entering literally my 30th year. And it, and it happened to coincide with my, my Saturn return. Mm. And it's that point that you decided that you needed help that you started seeking out. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Because it's different when you intentionally are seeking support versus 
back when I was in, in high school, when, you know, things were really chaotic and messy and crazy that people mm. were just afraid that, okay, are they going to, are they going to be okay? And they're doing it to check the box because you're a young person and you don't have family mm. anymore, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So yeah. teachers were concerned from both my brother and I outside relatives were obviously concerned but it's not something that I chose within my soul at that point, right? It would be years later when I actually had the time where I wasn't in survival mode because it was just survival just to be okay that nobody else was going to get hurt. Like I had to really heal this PTSD that I thought everyone's going to die around me, you know? Wow. So it was, it was, it was a huge yeah. time of healing. And that's where I started to make peace with with death. I started mm. to make peace with, okay, actually it's, it's not just their passing away. It's their transition to another realm. And because many times I would dream about my dad, I would dream about my mom and the, the most vivid dreams I would have were of my brother. And, and, you know, it's been since that point where I feel like I've had these incredible conversations whether it's, you know, at a meditation retreat or whether it was at a yoga retreat or whether it was even, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time um, kind of diving into, you know, psychedelics. And for me, that was quite healing because that's when I felt like I could really connect in such a beautiful way mm. of just releasing and also um, letting any lingering thoughts of could I have done something else? Could I have done more? Mm. Just go because maybe that was that was their time, and these were the lessons. And what I can take from those lessons, I can now you know spread, whether in books or talks. Because then my life path took a completely different path once I started saying yes to uh, this new healing journey in my soul. I let go of my. I was a cosmetic mm. dentist. I let go of that practice and not let it go, but I, I sold it. Yeah. And um, again, another thing that my family, my aunts, my, my, my aunts, my cousins, everyone around me were, was like, what are you doing? Did you join a yeah. cult? They didn't understand. Huh? Oh, no. They're, they're like, are you, are you okay? You just went to another one of those retreats. Yeah, They didn't know that you had just done ayahuasca. No, <laughs> or no they did not. <laughs> No, they did not. <laughs> they, they knew I was at a retreat, but they did mm. not know that there was three days of just yeah. celebration and and, um, and trusting that intuition. And mm. I think for, you know, I, I don't, I don't say, you know, every, everyone should go do that. You know, I mm. think that's a very sacred decision and choice. I think for me, it was definitely doing a lot of research and spending time in different parts of the world. I would go back to, you know, Bali is a sacred place for me, but also my dad's lineage from India, you know, all every single weekend, as long as I remember, we'd either, you know, visit different temples or we'd visit the Gurdwara because my dad was from Punjab. And so... Mm. We would do the Hindu temples, we would do the Sikh temples, and we would go to you know church on Sundays with my mom. So my dad would always say, it doesn't matter just as long as you know you have this connection, whatever that connection is, 
to that inner power. And for him, it would be meditating and chanting with his mala beads for Mm -hmm. hours, especially on Sundays, because he felt that Sundays were this awakening time and the start to a new week. And even when we were little, I remember my brothers and I chasing after, trying to get the mala beads when my dad was meditating. But that really set the foundation for later on when I would go back to India and I would spend time in Rishikesh, I would spend time in Varanasi. And, you know, perhaps maybe it was me trying to just connect back to the souls of my ancestors and the wisdom that my dad, you know, potentially like laid out Mm. for us uh, early on. But those foundational elements really stuck with me in terms of when I was going through this kind of purging and reinventing of myself again, mm. when I was saying, all right, no, I don't need this. I sold my, I sold my condo. I sold, you know, real estate. I sold everything um, in that period of time because I was so convicted in just following whatever my truth was in that time. And for me, if it was not in alignment in what I mean by alignment At that time, I was so curious about just speaking truth Mm. because my voice was so suppressed for so many years. And even going back as to how I was taught as a kid to even share grief and sadness, that was all suppressed and bottled up because my family didn't know what, how to react. I mean, Filipino and Indian lineages, it was like, nope. Good girls don't cry. You're strong. Be strong. Be brave. Yeah. You know, and 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 all I wanted to do uh, when I was at my deepest, darkest after this breakup was to cry, was to scream, was to let it out, was to just completely yeah. fall. Feel the feels. And really fully. feel the feels. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I and I think that's the 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 big thing what I love about social media, at least for this season of life where we're at is like, you can actually see and, and be met with the, the okayness of sharing and falling and letting go, you know, uh, in front of somebody else to be witnessed in that way, because that was definitely the opposite. Um, Mm when I was growing up, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing. You were validated on right answers. You were validated on being happy all the time. You were validated on, uh, you know, how stoic you can be. And I love the stoics for a more fati and loving our fate and loving, uh, you know, that many times things may not go to plan, but maybe that was the plan all along. Right. And what I would also add to the Stoics is it's okay to feel the feels. It's okay to not be okay. And that Mm. was another reinvention point when I got into, you know, my thirties and, and, and became so convicted and intentional, uh, in terms of sharing my truth in those ways. And that really looked at the, career that I was in, um, and all of the other projects that I was curious about that I wanted to try as well. Mm. One of the most 
game-changing chapters for me in your book um, was the chapter about the entitlement trap. Uh, because I've heard, you know, our generation is entitled, we're privileged, and I come from a background where I consider my upbringing very, very privileged um, in comparison, especially where my family came from, where, where, where they started to now being part of this generation uh, where my dad has truly, you know, radically shifted um, the future of, of, of his family. And I just wanted to tune into this entitlement trap because there was a story in your book where this man wanted to become a professional speaker. He wanted to speak on stages and be famous, uh, sharing his story. And when you asked him questions, like very simple questions, like who are you, who do you want to impact with your message? Uh, how do you plan on serving them? How can they learn from you? What will they learn from you? These questions were very ambiguous. And I was reading through these questions and I was like, like, I need to go through these, like on a very deep level. I need mm -hmm. to go through these because I think in the back of my mind, I know, but when you truly reflect on them, I think giving yourself the time to know wh who will your message impact? How do they plan? How do you plan on serving others? Focusing what others need instead of saying, no, this is what I deserve. I deserve the millions of downloads because blah, blah, blah. I've achieved this and I've done this and not focusing necessarily on the aspect of others, understanding what other people need. So, I wanted to ask you on this entitlement concept, where is the fine line between, you know, saying yes to ourselves mm -hmm. and not focusing on, you know, that aspect of, no, I need to do this podcast. I need to do, write this book for others. Um, but also integrating, this is our, my journey and there's no entitlement behind that. How can we break the chains of that entitlement? So I love this so much, especially for, you know, this, your generation. And I yeah. think that for a lot of folks, because, you know, you, everyone listening to this has grown up with social media, has grown up yeah. with the idea that now you can start creating stuff so fast. I mean, my my son, who's four years old, he just saw me do a live once, and that was it once because I had to, you know, do it. And he was in the room, and literally the next day, Emilio, the next day, he took my phone. He already knows how to press record, wow. and he's doing these videos like, "Hey, folks, how are you, folks? Oh my gosh, <laughs> look at my Christmas tree! Look at this!" And <laughs> what? What? Am I do, do did you? Mm. And I was like, I asked my husband, I'm like, are you doing that? And it was just a big reflection and mirror because I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I do say folks a lot. And also that it's just so easy for them. There's no fear because you could see him, you know, and, and maybe one day I'll, I'll post this, but um, mm. you can see him just so convicted and so intentional about just having a conversation. Yeah. So much so that I sent it to his grandparents in India and they're like, How, he never talks like this. How did you get him to do that? And I said, that was not me. That was that that was that was him. So I bring this story up to share that, you know, there is this, 
there's sometimes this like fearlessness, even for, you know, for your generation, for, for my, my kid growing up right now to just do and to create because this is, this is the time that we're living in, which is so amazing. And it's so great. And in that story and what I've come across with even in the students that I teach and the places that I go into and speak to is the idea of entitlement comes in from a basis of lack because it means that we have to strive for whatever we're going for because there's not enough. There's three fear cultures that I talk about. And, you know, uh, the first is the uh, the I am not worthy, meaning that I'm going to continue and continue, continue to do yeah. to prove. That my one's so huge. Right. That one's so huge. Yeah. And it's so huge because many times and, you know, I, I remember in my 20s being so unworthy, trying to fit in because mm. I hadn't found that love for myself because I was trying to gain everybody else's love because I had lost my parents, right? I hadn't reconciled that or integrated it in my system yet. And maybe that wasn't the time. So if you are listening to this and you're like, I just, I don't even know, you know, where I'm at or this is getting me more confused. You're totally perfectly where you're at right now. And, you know, the more that you're listening to mm. Emilio's podcast, or even I do one on the brave table, this is going to open up your perspective to have those types of conversations that we didn't really have. And I think it's such a gem that you're exposing everybody to this. But when I talk about entitlement, it's it, it's mainly because there's two things that I talk about in the book, entitlement and deserving, right? Yeah. Entitlement, deserving, and then of course, privilege, because we can't understand our desires for what we would like in the world if we aren't making peace with our entitlement, if we're not making peace with the privileges mm. that we already have, right? I knew that my privilege growing up was, okay, she's racially ambiguous. She could be whatever. She's growing up in the in, in a melting pot of Chicago. That gave me certain advantages, but it also made me really want to retract inward because I didn't want to be that different person anymore. I already looked really different. People couldn't place me. They, they're like, what, what are you, right? And so as a young person, all you want to do is fit in. While that was a privilege, there's also the, the opposite to that as well. Because at the end of the day, we all just want to have friends, right? Yeah. And, and belong and get accepted. Mm. And so when entitlement comes in, kind of like this particular person's story in the book, one of my clients, he knew he had a story and everyone listening to this has a story. I have a story, Emilio, you have an incredible story. Yet the thing is, is many times we think we should be, we should be um, given trophies based on those stories versus, yeah. okay, versus, well, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with that platform? What are we going to do with that thing? Is entertainment the way to go? Mm. Okay. Is it, and, and, and are you set to entertain? Are you set to inspire or are you set to educate mm. or 
are you just doing it because you want fame? And I think, you know, the, the particular story you're talking about in the book, he literally just wanted fame. He hadn't thought really deep in that. Yeah. And I think the issue for, you know, where a lot of folks in my generation are talking about your generation, <laughs> there's no beef, but, you know, I think, I think the big thing is, is, you know, because it's so easy to garner fame on a lot of these social platforms, now it's so easy to do that, that we're not thinking of the output and we're not yeah. thinking of the responsibility that we have with somebody that has a mic, that what we can actually do to shift and to change perspective. Mm. And we now have the mic super young as as little as you know my son at four years old and people are looking to learn from other people with that authenticity with that vulnerability with that uniqueness that they bring mm. apart bring along but i think where it becomes a big you know this this dividing line is well what is our true intentions and that's why i always say you know where is the intentionality coming from because that intentionality that fame is great but it only gets you it only gets you to that next point right yeah we want to also think of well if i have that responsibility and there is that mic in my hand who am I now going to impact and inspire and educate as a result of my voice? And I think, you know, for a lot of folks like my client, Samuel, they're only thinking about the short game because the short game is that next point and the mm. short game is that, that fame. But what are you going to do with it? Most people are not afraid of you know, their failures. They're not mm. afraid of, you know, uh, um, taking that next step. They're not afraid of putting themselves out there. What they're really afraid of is, well, that success, because that success, like, what if it actually does go well? Yeah. What if when I do start that podcast, people are listening? What if people do want to meet with me? And mm. they're afraid of, of that responsibility because that takes work. That that's not just about fame anymore. That's mm. that's about the responsibility that it takes to then create something that is going to actually continuously um, change lives. And so when we're talking about entitlement, what we're really talking about is the fear. So the fear of worthiness is one, right? Mm. The, the, the I am not worthy. I'm going to overdo because I'm not worthy. The second one is what I am doing is not good enough. So the book is not good enough. The, the, the course, the project, the school, the training, all of mm. those things aren't good enough. So I'm going to keep doing to yeah. prove that I am good enough, right? or there isn't enough. And most people who are wanting the fame without the intentionality, there is not enough. There's not room at the yeah. top for everyone else. Uh, zero sum game that you talked about. It, it is that zero sum game because we're taught, right, really young in sports, 
in in any in any sport that you think about, right? Whether it's you know tennis or basketball or soccer or uh, even my kids started to my little one. She started like singing and dancing, and even with that, there's these singing competitions and dancing competitions, right? There's only usually one winner, maybe two. Mm. And a lot of my clients who were former athletes or they were athletes in school, many times they've had, and there's a particular uh, framework in my in my book called the Fly Forward Framework, but the first stage of that is we have a fall. And many times for these young athletes, because they were competing when they were younger at whatever it was, they, they had that first place. They had that second place. They had that third place. It's a zero-sum game. You either win or you lose. There's always going to either be a winner or a loser, right? And so there's, yeah. n- there, there's no in-between. And so many times we think because it's a zero-sum game that we have to fight to get our way to the top, which means that I'm entitled. I should be it because of X, Y, and Z. Well, let me just reframe the question Instead of, okay, you're deserving, we're all deserving of of amazing things in our lives, absolutely, without a doubt. But what is the intention behind that? What Mm. do you wish to do with that? Because I can give the same question to two people. One, like my client Samuel, which by the way, his name's changed uh, (laughs) for for these reasons, And, and, and or someone like yourself, Emilio, who has done the work, who's done the introspection, who continuously does the introspection, who, which by the way, before we started, you're like, I really want to set the tone and, you know, just the frequency for our conversation. Let's tune in. That is intentionality. That's the gift. Because now we have this responsibility with this mic that's attached to us wherever we go. We, we never used to have that. I definitely didn't grow up with that. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's now primed in your hands, in my son's hands. What are we going to do with this? You yeah. know, uh, and, and, and that's, that's big. Yeah. And the fascinating thing is that I realized through a personal experience not too long ago um, that that mentality of entitlement is 100% taught. The mentality of competition is 100% taught. Um, In September, I was invited to go to my little cousin. Um, He's 12 years old, right? And he goes through the whole um, auditions for The Voice Kids in Spain. And he goes, he passes, he gets chosen, he gets the coach, he gets the mentor, uh, and he passes on to the battle rounds. So the battle rounds, there's three kids, they're competing against each other, and one of the kids will pass on uh, to the next rounds. And there's three kids, my cousins being one of them, we're in the backstage, we're watching the cameras, we're being recorded on TV, the whole thing. Uh, And my cousin he gets up there he sings his heart out and there's this continuous smile on his face like when i look at him i only see light um the way that he carries himself is just for me it's fascinating because when i was that age i grew up playing um i was about to say professional i grew up playing um basketball and that was my dream i wanted to play professional uh and 
I always had this chip on my shoulder of, I need to win at all costs. I need to be the best three-point shooter. I need to be the best point guard on my team. I need to be the best, have the best stats on my team. I need to help my team win all the championships, etc. And obviously singing is a whole different thing, but when he got up on stage and he got off, we were praying for him. You know, we really wanted to see him pass on to the next round because how do you handle a 12-year-old getting kicked off on TV live? Like it's 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 a complicated, touchy issue. Eventually, the judges make their decision uh, and they don't choose him to go on to the next round. Oh. So he walks off stage, but there's this continuous smile on his face. And I think when you're that age, it's really hard to hide emotions as we do now. Like even if we're sad, we smile. He was just smiling because he was happy that he got up on stage, sung in front of people. The first thing that he told his mom was like, look at the people here. Obviously, they're people that get paid to fill up the the, the, the crowd, but he's like, look at the people here. Um, he was performing for a live audience, doing what he loves to do. And then the girl that won, I didn't really see her afterwards, but the other girl that they got, um, I mean, didn't get chosen, she cried, she cried, she cried. She said this wasn't fair. You know, the victim mentality because I, I really saw it in her and she was a little bit older. She was around like 14, 15. So I can see the age difference there um, and how much her, her parents probably had influenced her. But I saw the difference between that victim mentality and then the victor mentality, which I saw completely in my cousin as a reflection of like, he thinks he won. Like he actually won because he just got up there and 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 sung his heart out and he you know he made friends in the whole experience and we were in the car and the parents my uncle my my uh, aunt they didn't know what to say we didn't know what to say we were like quiet in the taxi and then he just starts like making jokes he starts laughing and i'm like are you okay like he was acting like he won the lottery and i was like that's the mentality i want to see because that's the new consciousness, I think, for younger generations and, and, and now the leaders of the future can't see things black or white, can't see things as a zero-sum game because look at where that's gotten us. Look at where we, what we've done with our environment. It was a complete mentality shift, but it is 100% taught. So I just wanted to highlight all, oh, that, yeah. all of your teachings through that story. Oh, my gosh. Well, mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's the, you know, with... I totally empathize with both of them because, mm. and it's, it takes that community. It takes that village. So for your, I'm just imagining your 12 year old cousin to be like, you know, just, just laughing and smiling away. And then for the one other girl, because in some of those things, it is that zero sum game for her to think then, you know, maybe life isn't fair or it isn't fair. And so, and, your cousin really demonstrated that. So, uh, yeah, a beautiful reflection story, Emilio. Mm. And also with this concept of, of having to prove ourselves, mm -hmm. because I feel like when we're about to perform or when we're about to do something out in the world, if our mentality is I need to prove something to someone, um, the resentment that builds up from that, like, Oh, 
I have to prove my dad of going, you know, to that college that he really wants me to get into. And then that builds resentment within us. I think uh, another friend, Garen Jones, you, you, you know very well, he says that resentment that you're still holding onto is the same amount of energy and power that's needed to get to the next level. So when we're able to unpack that resentment and unblock, because it's, I think it's energetic blockages, resentment probably in our heart mostly uh that these blockages don't allow us to get into our full potential uh what do you have to say to someone who feels that even though they might not admit it to themselves, they're trying to prove things to other people around them and they're holding on to resentment oh yes yes so what i so the the chapter that you're talking about on resentment is all about why and how resentment continues to allow us to play small. And it Mm. continues to allow us to just be in our little bubble, our little pity party for one is what I call it, because that's, that's, it feels good. It gives us a sense of purpose. You know, if you've ever, and, and we've all been there, right? We've all been there. Something didn't go our way. Something, you know, we had a that sucked moment, but we're still in the suck part of it. We're not yet, you know, getting into our now what stage. And sometimes it's okay to be there, right? Because resentment is a feeling. And, you know, I'm not trying to say let's not experience it at all. Feel it. But what happens and what Emilio and I are, are talking about is, when you get stuck in the suck of that feeling of resentment and you can't get out of the soup of resentment and you think that everyone's out to get you, you think that there's no one, uh, you know, there's no one for you or you can't trust anyone because that one person did something to you. That one bully you can't, you couldn't stand up to for whatever the, the reason situation was and that bully could look like, you know, a boss, that bully could look like a parent figure, that bully could look like uh, someone in your life or a thing mm. that you were trying to get and, and didn't happen. And so we then get stuck thinking, well, why me? Why me? Why? It's not fair. Uh, and and that's just limiting our window of possibilities because then instead of getting into, all right, what's the now what? The now mm-hmm. what of like, well, where's the personal responsibility in all of this? When do I get to take personal responsibility? And that's what's missing in the world of resentment because if we're in our tiny little bubble, it's safe. It's kind of like if you grew up you know, and I think for you growing up in Bogota and me growing up in Chicago, you know, I still have a ton of friends who are so, 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 um, they're, they're so content and happy and fulfilled living in their little bubble. Mm. Of, of oh, I know. I actually grew up in uh, Huntington Beach, California. <laughs> I lived eight years and I met people that had never left Huntington Beach, California. Right. And they love it. And what's not to love about Huntington Beach? There's a beach. It's all about Surf surfing. City. <laughs> Surf City. You you got it, right? And so mm. I think for those of us who are listening to, you know, your podcast and following like people that they love, they have that growth mindset. They have 
something different that they want to call into their lives, maybe subconsciously or consciously. But perhaps even if you're just initially tuning in, you know that you are starting to go outside of that tiny little bubble. And that's what bursts the bubble of resentment. Because if you start to allow yourself the new opportunities, and the new opportunities can look so small and so different, just like saying yes to a little workshop or saying yes to going to that sound healing on a Thursday night or um, saying yes, instead of, you know, going out to the clubs, you can basically go and and wake up early in the morning and go for a hike. These are like tiny, small little things, but that's what bursts that resentment bubble because you are now allowing new experiences in your life. You're actually taking a leap and Mm. trusting yourself again and trusting uh, that maybe you will suck at something new, but maybe that suck or that fall won't be as bad as the first time because now you have other tools. Mm. And, and and that's kind of where we get into, you know, the, the victim trap. But when we get into the victor, you're asking different questions. You're asking and you're coming from a place of curiosity. Like, ooh, what can I learn from this instead of, oh, well, who else is going to be there? Hmm. And to quote off your book, it says, victims are defined by their lack of choices, but it's only a perceived lack of choices. So the examples that you were highlighting, like, you know, I could go to the pub because that's what everyone's doing. And that's what, you know, I've been doing for the past four weeks. And (laughs) there was a moment when I was living in Madrid uh, in my first year of college in my undergrad, I went to the same nightclub every Wednesday night for eight weeks straight. So by the ninth week, if we get into the habit of something, I felt like I didn't have an option. My friends were like, "Like, did you pay the table already? And I'm like, maybe I don't want to go this time. But then that's when our mindsets start shifting, when we start realizing that there are more choices than the per- like perceived lack of those choices, of the possibilities that we can't see when we're in this narrow frame of mind. Oh, yes. Mm. Yes, and many times too, you know, you're using the the nightclub example, and I've many, I've got many of those stories of the, of of when you are looking to shift, but your current surroundings and the community around you isn't the most viable, uh, juicy container for that shift to happen. And when you're the only one, then tuning in to podcasts or tuning in to YouTube clips but everyone else is kind of doing the same old stuff that's kind of keeping them stuck in those circumstances, then you know you know that you have to start looking at other communities because it's only going to grow your, uh, what your next level of what that could look like, that next level of where intuitively you know you're, you're going. Because many times folks that folks that that you've known or that you've been through things that you've done things with it's okay to then start reinventing who those people are going to be in that next level of 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 where you're headed in the game of life mm. and that's something that i think a lot of times it's so hard because 
we don't want to leave the people who are so close to us and who 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 were there for us when we needed them. But and and I you know say this also in the book, many times when you are magnifying or you're rising from a sucky situation and a sucky time, you're often saying yes to more things and you're often uh, operating from a basis of, of of curiosity so fast than some of the folks around you. And that's where we start to outgrow some of those friendships. Mm. And it's not to say that those friendships are bad. I'm not saying that at all. It's just you may want to tune in to see, would they be open to a hike with you versus the club? Would they be open to going to a retreat with you or journaling with you or reading a book with you versus doing some of the things that you know secretly don't really light you up anymore. You're just doing it for the sake of connecting with them. Mm-hmm. But if they're a no into connecting with you on those things that truly do light you up, then yeah. that's a real big indication that, all right, it's it, it's time. It's time for that next level of who yeah. those friendships are going to be. And, and there's also this model of understanding that in the spiritual community, especially that once our vibration, our frequency elevates, then the people in our life naturally fall away. And, you know, I've seen it happen multiple times, but there's also moments where you actually have to say no to certain things. You actually have to have difficult, tough, embarrassing conversations with people in your life. Like, hey, I know you've been expecting this from me for the past year or two years or three years, however long it's been, but I am actively deciding to create a new identity for myself and that habit or that behavior or that pattern is no longer serving the person I want to become. So I can't go to that. And that's a really fucking hard thing to say to people um, that you love or that have been your friends for a while that they might not understand where you're coming from. Uh, I was, I remember in my dorm room, just like watching endless hours of Robin Sharma, even like conspiracy theories, like opening my mind to things that I didn't even know that existed in the world. And then there was no longer this match between me and some of the people that I was hanging out with, but I couldn't just naturally expect them to magically vibrationally disappear because sometimes things don't work like that. And we have karmic bonds, karmic relationships with people that we have to break energetically in order to move on to the, to the next level. Hmm. It's so, it's so good that you just shared that because, uh, yes, bring on the juicy and the difficult conversations. Like I am all about it coming from somebody who used to be so afraid of having difficult conversations because I was a, such a people pleaser. And so one of the things that, you know, and this is kind of a measure of, I think, success for your own lives is the amount of difficult conversations or or courageous is what I like to call them, courageous conversations that you can invite to your life mm-hmm. because it's not easy. They all suck. We're not good at it. And, and it's, and it can be painful, especially because you love that person. But I like to say when we're having a courageous conversation, we're, it's an act of love. It's an act of love because 
we love ourselves enough to state in many cases, a boundary, but it's also an invitation for somebody else to say, okay, hey, do you want to come along with me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm tuning into different things that I know is going to up level the two of us. So if you're in, come along for the ride. And if you're not, I love you where you are. And that's okay. That was our season. But I think mm-hmm. most people get so afraid of upsetting, disappointing, pissing the other person off because maybe that person was there for you through thick and thin. That person was like your ride or die. And I've had so many of those. And, 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 and I don't know about you, Emilio, but like, I know in the past, I wasn't so good at having them because it's like many times it comes up in emotions and many times, you know, it happens because they want you to do something and you kind of don't want to do it. And so you do it anyways, but then it comes to a point where you're like, so in alignment with mm. what you are calling in for yourself that you're like, I'm not going to go to this thing. That's going to have me up until two in the morning. And then it comes out in the most, you know, not spectacular fashion, but that's the beauty of the sucky moment because that's where true friendships can really lean on to repair. And we don't see that a lot. We just see, all right, one and done. Let's be done with this and throw in the towel and move on. But I think, you know, what, what's really curious, you know, for me, at least in this stage is, all right, how many breakdowns can we have with a friend that we can actually break through together? And that is, that's a, that's a real true and rare friendship these days. If you are both okay in saying yes to, to that we rather so, ghost. We rather ghost. We rather. I know. Just, I know. <laughs> I know. Can we talk about that? Why? <laughs> but that's that. That's the beauty, though. That's the beauty. If for all of you guys thinking that you can just ghost and like and 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 just all right, on to the next, on to the next. So you know, back in the day, we used to have a thing where we we had to actually had to call people on the phone. And <laughs> what? <laughs> what yeah, is that? There's a, there's a thing. It actually happened, you know, back in the day. <laughs> like uh, physically, like with a like mm-hmm. one of these. Yeah, one of these. One of those. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. okay. I'm, I'm not that old, Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually had to face your fear. Imagine calling a buddy. Mm. Just imagine for everybody tuning in, calling a buddy, and actually stating them, not texting, but actually saying. Hey, you know what you did the other day? It totally, it like caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it, and that really hurt me. And mm-hmm. I really love our friendship, and mm-hmm. I would love to go deeper with you, but I don't know if I could trust you if you're doing things like that. Can Ooh. we talk about this? Yeah. Can any of you do that? That is that is like my one gift and my one. Uh, perhaps maybe nugget among many that I want to leave with with you all, because if we can tune into the frequency of vulnerability when it gets hard, when it gets tough, because I'm telling you, in a, in a relationship, when you're when you're finding that person that 
soulmate, your your twin flame, whatever we, we want to call it, that's where most of that is going to the friction and the and the and the tough conversations. That's where uh, it'll really come into fruition. That's the juicy. And so I'm not saying wait for that just in love relationships. I'm saying, why not practice that with your actual friendships? Because again, if we can do that, how much better and more elevated can we be in our communication skills in whatever we want to do in the world, whether it's creating more content that inspires other people. And aren't we giving people the gift of connection when we're doing that? And I think what's mm. missing really is because it's so easy to ghost, because it's so easy to be like, on to the next, is there something that is missing in terms of, yeah, leaning into the suckiness of a conflict and being able to repair mm. at the end? And to say, yeah. now what? All right, we fought. Are we better at it? Because we've we, we, we've we've gained and we've learned a little bit of perspective, and to actually um, hear out what the other party is saying instead of instead of just ghosting and and being done forever. Yeah. Just a thought. Oof. And and what came through just quick reflection on ghosting is when you said like, why is our generation so prone to ghosts? One of the thoughts that came to me was that sometimes when we're very young, we operate off this like sporadic energy of like, we can do whatever we want when we want. Um, there's so many options out there. We have dating apps, we have different things. We have millions of, of choices out there. And when I was starting my spiritual journey, I was exposing myself to so many different things and reading books after books. Sometimes I wouldn't finish a book and that was fine, but I would just move on to the next teacher, the next teaching, the next thing, the next course, whatever it was. And I think there's a moment for that. And there's definitely this era of expansion that we need to go through. But I think right now, the season of my life that I'm entering is the word that I chose for this year is depth. Mm -hmm. So, going into this depth in love relationships, in friendships, in, for example, things that I'm learning about. Mm, I just committed to going deep into the gene keys. So, you know, getting, getting, starting reading my charts, starting reading the book, the courses, but like truly going deep into that one thing uh, instead of like picking and choosing everywhere and seeing just like trying a little bit of everything, which there's a season for that but there's also a season for, for depth and ghosting doesn't require depth at all. It's more of that sporadic energy of like, I'll just ghost if I want, like I've been ghosted before. So, you know, that's part of the culture now, I guess this is part of the culture. Um, but depth is a whole different way of relating with people mm -hmm. in our lives, even strangers, because you can have depth, a deep encounter with someone that you just met at the grocery store just by truly looking and seeing them. I love how in the avatar they say, I see you, which it's completely like, that's what it is. Um, we had Paul Selig on the oh. podcast and the guides, they talk about, you know, that, that affirmation, that frequency of, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. And now I know how I serve in truth. I am free, I am free, I am free. And when you say that to someone else, you're basically, acknowledging their soul and saying, I see you, I know how you serve, I know who you are and I know what you are. So 
it establishes a whole different dynamic with the people in our lives. Uh, I could speak to you another hour if we had the time uh, just on this concept. So I would love, you know, if it arises at some point to do this again. But to start driving this beautiful conversation to a close, we end every episode with the final trio, very rapid fire questions that you could answer in any way that you want. Before that, please tell people where they can get your book, where they can learn more about you, where they can get trained with you, whatever you want to, uh, to tell them. To Absolutely. To. Yeah. So you can actually get the book at thatsuckednowwhat.com. And actually, when you do, um, you unlock the five-day healing practice. And we start day one. We start with relationships. The juiciest ones, whether it's love or uh, family or friendships, but we start uh, day one with with uh, friendships or relationships. Day two is all about uh, your optimum energy and vitality and where we're leaking it, if we are leaking it anywhere and, and how to tighten that up. And then day three is all about abundance. Day four is all about taking brave and courageous action. And then day five is, is coming home together to yourself. So, and then it also comes with a 44 page uh, digital guidebook, which uh, is just incredible because everything that we talked about from the concepts of the entitlement and privilege, we go much deeper in the 44 page digital mm. handbook, which everyone is loving because it's really that self healing tool guide, especially mm. if you're coming from, you know, parents of immigrants and, you know, there's just like different cultural clashes. Mm. This is the, this is the juicy stuff to kind of dig into. And we put so much uh, love and effort into it. And, uh, and, and yeah, so, um, it's at that sucked now what.com. I can't wait. Yeah. We'll put every single link that you just mentioned in the show notes. I know there's many podcasters that say that, and then you go in the description, it's not there. <laughs> so go check that right now. Cause we put it in there. Um, the final trio, this is one of my favorite parts. Cause every single question is, uh, different for the guests, except the last one. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But the first one is, what is in full alignment with you at this stage and season of your life? That soul path. I know you guys have been teaching people and certifying people and being a Dharma life coach, which I love. I love that you guys are doing that. Um, but what is in full alignment with you uh, at this stage in your life? Yeah, I think that because there's so much chaos, I think, you know, reminding people to find their own magic and sometimes their messy situations and that's been and that's been such a big uh, uh, through line from from this stage of of motherhood in my life, but also in the various ways that I impact, whether it's on stage, whether it's in uh, in our communities. So finding the magic in your mess, yeah, which is alchemy, which is alchemy, ways. right? It mm. totally is. We're just mm. loading it up. Yeah. yeah. What would your kid self think of you now? Oh, she would think that Nita now is is an unapologetic badass. She'd be so proud. She actually is proud. She is proud. Amazing. I love that. Nita, the final question. Um, this is going to require us to travel a bit back in time. Mm. No, forward in time, my bad. Okay. Uh, I call this the time capsule question. So mm. 
around, let's say a decade, a couple decades out, my generation, your sons and your kids' generation, they're going to start stepping into positions of leadership. And I know you've worked a lot with leaders, a lot with leadership um, in your coaching and your consulting. But this next generation is going to take on leadership roles regardless because that's the nature of, of, of our evolution. And if I were to give you a time capsule and you could do anything you wanted with this time capsule, but this generation of leaders would open it and find whatever you wanted to leave for them as tools, mindsets, techniques for them to be able to lead and guide humanity through this this new consciousness that's arising right now, what would you put into that time capsule? It could be anything from a book, a frequency, a movie, anything that's helped you, um, what would you include in there? Mm. Well, I would, I would obviously include um, a manifesto on having brave conversations. And I think the, the through line to our future leaders and even just, you know, in this, in this conversation that we had today is not being afraid of reinventing yourself and to also have the the depth and the capacity to have those brave conversations that sometimes might be messy that sometimes may not uh, be what you've expected but it connects humanity. And if we can have more compassion with other people, I think that's going to give this next generation such an edge to be able to connect deeply and, uh, and seeing the humanity in, in other people mm. in a way that our generation hasn't been able to. Yes. So good. And also, this is the first thing that I wanted to start as a new project is at the end of every episode, I want to ask the guests to leave uh, that generation, the next generation, a contemplation question, uh, mm -hmm. self-reflective question to deepen their self-awareness, uh, honoring Richard Rudd from the Gene Keys around his concept of the art of contemplation. And what would be one question that you would leave behind for this generation uh, to contemplate, to ponder upon, to think about for the years to come. Yes. What are you braving today? Mm. Mm. <laughs> braving. I love that. What are you braving Ooh. today? Let's do it. Oof. So good. Nita, thank you so much. Uh, I just wanted to honor you for the work that you've done. Uh, this being the first book that I've read, of this year, I want to just tell you that I started off in the right foot um, because this book is powerful. Uh, so many insights. I have like 40 quotes <laughs> uh, down here that I that I wrote down. Um, I'll just leave people with one quote from your book. You're never going to materialize if you're trying to prove someone wrong. You can't open up to goals if you're holding on to resentment. So release the resentment and step into love that frequency that that we tuned into this conversation so nita i would love to do this again and and thank you for likewise for ah, i had so much fun so much fun we should totally do it again 100 percent. <laughs>
in Austin in person next time. Yes. <laughs> or yes. in Italy with a Aperol Spritz. Aperol Spritz. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll make that happen for sure. That's an intention. Let's do it. Thank you <laughs> right. so much. <laughs> <laughs>